Hello everyone and welcome to Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the classic Transformers Generation 1 cartoon. I am Jeremy Graves and joining me as per usual on our magical, whimsical journey, of course, is my good friend in crime, Mr. Andy Hanley. Good sir, how the devil are you doing this week? I am doing very well. To, to give people a, a, a peek behind the curtain, uh, when I went to grab my notes before starting this podcast, I initially accidentally grabbed my shopping list and not my Transformers <laughs> episode notes. So if Jeremy asked me a question about any of these episodes and my response is strawberry jam, you know exactly what's happened. <laughs> I don't know where to go from there. <laughs> no, I just did a co- content warning. If I just start <laughs> randomly content saying, if, if I start just randomly spouting items that from a supermarket, you know, you know what's happened here. I mean, you know, it could be Energon Jam, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, pl- please join us for our, like, Transformers cooking podcast coming soon. 101 Energon recipes. Okay, I'm just going to derail this one from the outset. If a Transformer had to be a cook, who do you think would at least cook an edible dish? It's kind of surprising. I mean, maybe we'll get this at some point in season three. I feel like this is a thing that you would expect to happen in this cartoon at some point, that you'll have somebody, like, decides to become a chef. But I don't know. Like, I don't know who would who would kind of be good for, for that kind of thing. I mean, Rodimus Prime seems really bored at the moment. Like, he maybe <laughs> maybe he, There's a guy that needs a hobby. So maybe, like, cooking with Energon should be, should be his thing. I think Blur would do things far too quickly, so things would be undercooked. Yeah, I mean, Blur, Blur would definitely be, be no good. Um, but yeah, like, I feel like there uh, are actually, very you few... know what? Based on the last podcast that we did, it should probably be Grimlock now he's in catering. I mean, I did, yeah, I did think once... I mean, I never stopped thinking about Grimlock wearing a, a tuxedo at this point, but uh, <laughs> I, I, did, I did think about that as well. But no, I feel like there's not really many... There are not really many Transformers personalities that seem particularly... There's no Gordon Ramsay in the Autobots, I feel like, so, uh, you know. <laughs> I'm trying to think if there was, like, a Decepticon that might be worth it. I don't know, maybe... I don't know, maybe the Predacons might be alright? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, they, they seem more like the kind of raw meat type. <laughs> I know, maybe the Constructicons. Maybe Mixmaster would make some good mashed potato or something. <laughs> I don't think I could follow that, so I'll carry on with my usual <laughs> housekeeping. Yeah, let's just proceed. <laughs> if you are joining us for the first time, thank you very much for checking us out, and we hope you enjoy the show. If you do, make sure you tell a friend about the podcast, and you can find us in audio form on the likes of Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud. There is also a video version of this podcast as well. If you head over to YouTube, search for Starscream's Ghost Podcast, you should find our YouTube channel just fine. Th- then you can actually watch Andy and I's reactions to everything we are discussing. And if you feel so inclined, why not leave us a little rating or a like on any of your platforms of choice as well? We would really appreciate it. I mentioned YouTube. All the episodes that we talk about on this show, the ordering is dictated from the Hasbro Pulse YouTube channel, which is a 100% legitimate way to watch all of the Transformers G1 episodes. And today, Andy, we have been dealt the hand of Season 3, Episodes 15 to 17, which are the following episode titles. Fight or Flee, Webworld, and Ghost in the Machine, which, if you've listened to previous podcasts, everybody, you will know is finally the follow-up episode to the episode named Starscream's Ghost, not to try and sound really confusing there. <laughs> so, Andy, this this trio of episodes... 
Any general overview thoughts before we get into each one more in depth? I feel like all of these were pretty good slash interesting in their own ways. Like they all have sort of interesting sort of narrative ideas. Um, there's sort of a bit of a through line here of a reminder of just how like bonkers Galvatron has become. Um, <laughs> you know that he's he he is a madman now, which again. We've talked about this quite a bit going into season three, but you know I really like that as an angle, um, and it, it does some stuff with with that. So yeah, like none of these kind of uh, it's that typical Transformers things where none of these maybe kind of like lands the ending, and none of them are quite as fully formed and fleshed out as you like. Like I I find myself thinking, especially after these episodes, that I'd really love somebody to take on kind of like comic adaptations comic book adaptations of a bunch of these episodes but kind of really fleshed out and given a more sort of grown-up treatment because i feel like there are so many good ideas in a lot a bunch of these episodes that don't necessarily all quite work but they're kind of you know like even the starscream's ghost ghost in the machine thing like this episode in particular ghost of the machine sort of pays off quite a lot of stuff around that premise in a way that I could kind of get behind um and uh, so yeah I I kind of I kind of like these you know with caveats I would say yeah oh excuse me yeah I, I agree uh, so weird as this sounds and I've got I've got a fun anecdote for you at some point Andy regarding one of these episodes that you're not going to expect so I will get onto that as and when we get to it but I actually thought as a trio of episodes it was a really, really nice mix. Like you say, not everything lands entirely well, but in terms of concepts and whatnot, I thought there was some very good stuff within these. And also, I think, I don't know whether it's just the ordering of Hasbro Pulse, but with at least Fight or Flee, we now actually get the origin story of a Transformer who randomly showed up earlier in the season, who seemed to be integral to one or two episodes. So I think some of the ordering may have done us a bit of a number on that as well. But like you say, with Webworld, it really delves into Galvatron's psyche in some ways, which is something we have brought up numerous times, even dating back to the podcast when we talked about the movie specifically, of which if you are a new listener and you've not heard that, you can go into the archives of our podcast and hear us discuss Transformers the movie right now if you want to. So we've covered that before, and it was nice to actually see that get, in a way, just get its own treatment if you will. Like, they're just focusing specifically on that, and let's just see what happens. And as it turns out, it's not very good for the people trying to help. <laughs> <laughs> no. I mean, that, that episode doesn't really end well for anybody, particularly, but uh, we, we will certainly get to that. Indeed. But before we get to that one, Andy, let us first of all begin with Season 3, Episode 15, Fight or Flee. We begin in space, somewhat predictably at this point in the season, where Cyclonus and Scourge are pursuing the aerial bot Air Raid and they end up in an asteroid field. The two Decepticons are surprised to see that the other aerial bots are there as well. A fun moment, Andy, of Scourge outright just saying, not in Admiral, Admiral Akbar's voice, it's a trap! <laughs> Which I took, <laughs> I had a great laugh about that. We get a brief scuffle with the numbers advantage clearly being in the aerial bot's favour, but that doesn't stop Cyclonus commanding Scourge to attack with him. This proves to be a bad idea in the firefight, because Scourge is damaged, which leads Andy to the following dialogue exchange. Scourge saying, I think I'm in bad shape! Cyclonus responding with, What do you mean? You think you're damaged? 
which is like, what else does he mean? Yeah, <laughs> you know? I mean, I, I mean, there, there, there are some good, there are some good lines like along, the, along the, that sort of premise across this episode. I mean, there's, there's, there's a great moment later on that we'll, we'll get to was just like, you know, basically a character being like. Yeah, that that was a figure of speech. Like I, I, I know what this means, um, and it feels like I don't know whether it's a very specific thing for like whoever wrote this episode or or, or what. But there's definitely definitely a few instances of that here, which uh, I I can get behind. Now, at this point, the aerial bots have now merged into Superion, and they do further damage to the Decepticon duo. Cyclonus then just spots a vortex nearby, as you do, because, you know, it's not a thing you can miss very easily, and decides to take refuge in it. Once they've passed through, they have no idea where they are, and that's not helped by the fact that their respective sort of guidance systems and whatnot have also gone a bit loopy. They then find a planet, and upon crash landing on it, Cyclonus says, quote-unquote, looks like Cybertron during the fabled Golden Age. My first thought, Andy, is another one, really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I wrote in all caps on my notes, Strawberry Gem. No, wait, I wrote um, time, t- time Travel Again, um, which, to be fair, I was kind of here for. I, I also wondered whether this was going to kind of, uh, like, link into that previous episode where they opened up their time window or whatever it was and, like, that this was the remnants of it. But, uh, but, but, but no. Also... I have to say that was quite a crash landing. Like, like Scourge <laughs> literally just face plant on a planet, which I found incredibly amusing. Um, but uh, yeah, that was that was, that was a, a highlight for me. At this point, they are approached by numerous Transformers that appear to be Autobots, and that's based on their chest emblems. It should be said, with one saying, "Welcome to Paradron, friends." Which I won't lie, Andy. Trying to say Paradron or Paradron, however I'm going to say it ultimately, I'm going to be flip flopping between the two because I cannot say it right more than once. Yeah, it's it, it, it's it's a weird name. I can see what they're going for of just like some take on Paradise, but honestly, it sounds like something that you'd ask for at the chemist. Um, <laughs> and it's like, it, it, it's like you know, please, please fill my prescription for Paradron, please. I need a bottle of Paradron. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's you know some some kind of unseemly itch somewhere that only Paradron will will resolve. Now, by this point, Scourge's Cyclonus have virtually no energy and effectively just pass out, fully expecting to be deactivated, as one of them mentions in passing. They are then nursed back to health by the natives, of which a few of them, Andy, just seem to be palette swapped or palette color swapped versions of RC, I've got noted, which was a bit of a culture shock there. And the Decepticons then discover that the planet, at this point, is called Paradron, and it is inhabited specifically by Autobots. We then get the following dialogue exchange. Scourge says, Why aren't they trying to blow us away? Cyclonus responds, Perhaps, because we aren't armed. Scourge then says, Have I got the wrong idea, or are these guys a bunch of wimps? Cyclonus then responds with, yes, they appear to be wimps. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes, they appear to be wimps was one of my favourite lines from this episode. Um, it's uh, it's cu- cu- kudos for that. At this point, we are introduced to Sandstorm, who is not specifically name-checked at this point, who, if the name sounds familiar to regular listeners, it turns out, Andy, this is the triple changer that's a friend of Octane that we saw in an earlier episode. It may have even been during the Starscream's Ghost episode going off the top of my head. 
Yes, yeah, I think that was that was a, a lot of Starscream's ghosts when it was not actually about Starscream. So yeah, so in a way, maybe this is a time travel episode for us <laughs> because yeah, I'm not sure where this fits in the timeline. I suspect this was should probably have come before we saw that episode, but who can say? He greets the two Decepticons, explaining their pacifistic ways, but Cyclonus and Scourge get a little too much energon, of which the planet has an unlimited supply of conveniently. We literally see Cyclonus basically drinking from a small fountain or water feature of Energon, which is a weird sentence to say in itself. I I, I love that moment as well, because like for all of season three, like no matter how dire things are, kind of Cyclonus is the guy that like that wears a tie to work, for, for want of a better phrase. Like he's the prim and proper, you know, upright, you know, let's let's do this properly you know let's let's follow the protocols let's do all this by the book and galvatron's the leader you know no no funny business and to see him just like shoveling energon into his face like a pig in a sty was just incredibly (laughs) funny to me quite frankly and of course we should highlight from a character development point of view the ongoing story throughout this season is that the decepticons be it on chart or wherever have basically no energon, so they're pretty much just starving for it. So the idea that Cyclonus just sees a fountain of energon and just goes hog wild on it, it makes total sense. You can understand it. Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. Like it totally adds up. It's just like we've had so much of Cyclonus as kind of the the guy that uses his his pinky finger to drink tea kind of Decepticon, (laughs) and suddenly he's just like mashing his face into you know a big bowl of energon just because he's he's kind of hungry like yeah it, it it works well on that level as well of just kind of like showing you know how dire the straits are for for them but it's also just particularly funny because it's cyclonus in the next scene we see the two decepticons break into a control tower of sorts literally kicking one of the autobots through a monitor which prompts that autobot to say in response Hey, I'm stuck up here. Which Cyclonus responds with, everybody's got to be somewhere. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, amazing line from Cyclonus. I just love it. Cyclonus gets a lot of good lines in this uh, this one. I I feel like this is one of those things where I'd kind of, I'd love to know whether there was sort of like a, a, a sort of a writer's room thing here where Cyclonus... You know, I feel like in in like the comic books and stuff, he's he's around, but he doesn't get all that much play. But in this season of the cartoon, like he almost gets more time than Galvatron quite often. Like he's I feel like he's been in more episodes than Galvatron, and he almost seems to be like the favorite of just like ah, oh, give this guy give this guy the lines because like he's he, he's real good. Um, and you know, almost I guess maybe in the same way that kind of Starscream was in season one, but in a, in, in one and two, but in a very different way. Um, but yeah, I, <laughs> that was just an amazing line, beautifully delivered. They then proceed to contact Char, where Soundwave, it should be noted, Andy, sounded a lot like an Insecticon for a moment or two there. <laughs> he, he spoke like Shrapnel. I mean, we, we, <laughs> Soundwave is having a rough time with his voice in these episodes. We'll, 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 we'll have some more of that later on. But, like, I don't know whether... M- maybe he's maybe he's like working on a new career as a, a, an impressionist or something. 
and just be like, oh, look, look, I'm going to do my shrapnel. Watch my shrapnel. And Galvatron's like, I'm, I'm a lunatic. I don't care. <laughs> yeah. Soundwave's like, hey, did you like it? Hey, 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 yeah, hey. Yeah. And Galvatron's about... just like, shut up. <laughs> yeah. What about this one? What about this one? Uh, I, mean, they're, uh, I mean, to be fair, there's, you know, they were holding hands in the last episode. So, you know, they're, they're, they're buddies. They're fine. They're, they're I was like very happy. I, was man- I managed to find that screenshot, by the way, after we recorded this <laughs> podcast. I managed to put that yeah. in. I was very happy. Very important content. So, back to the conversation. Galvatron is informed of the discovery of this planet, where Scourge takes great delight in telling him, Andy, that the Autobot is controlled by a bunch of, quote-unquote, sissy Autobots. (laughs) There are some just proper good corkers in this episode. Sandstorm then calls an assembly, warning the populace that Cyclonus and Scourge are dangerous, but the others ignore the warnings. And soon enough, the two Decepticons arrive and declare the planet the part of the Decepticon Empire. This is then when all the other Decepticons arrive as well. Naturally, the local Paradrons don't agree with this, one, out- one claiming outright excuse me, that the planet is a democracy. So Galvatron just shoots him. <laughs> Taken to a prison at this point, Sandstorm manages to escape and transform. And full disclosure here, Andy, at this point, this is when I realised, I'm not sure if you cottoned onto this, that he was the only Autobot slash Transformer on this planet who could actually transform. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, can't, I can't decide how much of that is kind of deliberately written and how much of it is like, we've designed these generic Autobot characters, but we haven't designed alt modes for them. So please don't make any of them transform apart from Sandstorm. <laughs> But the Combaticons brawl and pre- sorry the Combaticon brawl and Predacon razor claw if I've got that correct follow him. They manage to knock him off a bridge because bridges are a thing now in season three. And Sandstorm flies away in his helicopter form and manages to lose the two Decepticons. He he being Sandstorm should get that correct heads for a what looks like just a really derelict almost abandoned spaceship in some ways. He manages to power up with a tiny jerry can of fuel that he's got, Andy, which I laughed at that as a concept, and manages to take off narrowly avoiding the flying Predacon dive bomb in the process. <laughs> Quite a scene, this. And according to the scanners from the Decepticons, Sandstorm is heading for the Vortex, and we then hear Galvatron tell his cohorts that they need to make the slaves work faster because he clearly knows what and or who will be coming shortly. I think there is a good moment to sort of just take a pause, Andy. A, a, a lot has happened there in this sort of setup for the episode so far. I'm enjoying this so far. I'm liking it. it it's got a nice mixture of things going on. I'm, I'm enjoying how much of a Decepticon... Well, I say it's weird to say Decepticon-heavy focus, but I like the fact it was primarily focused on Scourge and Cyclonus for a change. It was just a nice change of pace. And them just getting to, like, discover a new world and just cause havoc in only the best way they can... I did like it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's something that this series does quite well. Like, you know, in season two, we we had some sort of similar episodes where it's just small cadre of Decepticons, you know, causing chaos in some alien planet. Um, so, yeah, and I, I think there's another part of this for me where it's like, after Carnage in C Minor was so badly animated, it's very refreshing to watch an episode that is not. Like, this is actually pretty well animated. Like, the, the action scene at the start with the aerial bots, like, it's it's actually pretty good. Um, and, you know, 
just just little things like having characters on model and you know decently you know proportioned shots um really helps to to put it across um but yeah like it's it sort of is a slightly curious sort of choice in terms of, you know, the, the way they've set up this planet, etc, etc. But yeah, I think all of the other elements that kind of come together around it are actually actually pretty good. Um, and Cyclonus and Scourge certainly helped to, to carry it as a, a decent double act as well. As mentioned, Sandstorm has gone through the vortex inside his ship. And remember how a moment ago, Andy, I mentioned he had a tiny jerry can of fuel? Well, he ran out of fuel. Surprise, <laughs> surprise. He sends out a distress signal, which is picked up by the Autobots. Making contact with the Autobots, Sandstorm explains that his ancestors left Cybertron during the, the Fourth Great War to escape all the violence. He adds, quote-unquote, In order to find a peaceful planet where they would never be found, they went through the Vortex. That's why it's not on any of your star charts. Because that was part of the discussion that was going on in them thinking... Is this Sandstorm Sky Sandstorm guy, excuse me, a spy? Because we can't find it on any of the maps. So that was a cool little note as well. I did like that. Yeah. The Autobots, knowing that they can't let the Decepticons have all of the energon that is on Paradron, head for the planet, despite the fact, as mentioned, it's not on a star chart. There's no planet known to it. But the lie detector test that they're making Sandstorm take says he isn't lying. It's quite the conundrum for the Autobots. There's also a fun moment in this scene where Blur says something, and then Sandstorm basically just goes, Is he okay? <laughs> like, is his timing module out of whack or something? And then Cup just ends up hugging Blur and just goes, It's just the way he is. <laughs> By now, the Decepticons have got full control of the planet, and the local Paradrons are being used as slave labour. Detecting an Autobot uh, ship incoming towards the planet, we get the following dialogue exchange. Galvatron says, What do we have here? Now, I can't remember which Transformer it was, Andy, but it was Cyclonus's voice. I want to say it may have been one of the Combaticons. I don't remember. But they respond with, I believe it's an Autobot invasion party. To which Galvatron responds with, I know what it is. Of which the voice of Cyclonus then responds with, Didn't you just ask me what we had here? And Galvatron retorts with, it was just a figure of speech. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a, a, amazing. Like it's th th this is what makes this episode for me is just these little exchanges. Th this is in terms of pure dialogue, this might be one of the best written episodes of the show. Um, just for like this is this is where you just want like Decepticons the sitcom of just like never mind all the kind of planet stuff. Just want like Galvatron etc. Just like sat around in a living room somewhere, just like constantly being confused by one another. This is the slice of life show you're wanting, is it? <laughs> exactly, exactly that. At this point, the Decepticons unleash their molecular cannon to fire right through one of Paradron's moons, utterly obliterating the ship, the Autobot ship, behind it. Believing now that the Autobots have been destroyed, Decepticons just carry on with their business. But the ship, it turns out, was a decoy, and the Autobots launched their actual invasion from the other moon that Paradron has. Ultra Magnus takes a team to secure the Energon, while Rodimus and Springer, Sandstorm, and Skylinks go to rescue the prisoners. Breaking through the prison defences, the Autobots present the Paradrons with weapons, but the latter are actually reluctant to fight, leading to the following dialogue exchange. Sandstorm trying to, to rally up 
his fellow paradronians, that's a word I just made up off the top of my head, says things including the following, quote unquote, It's time we fought for what we believe in, our freedom, our planet, our lives! To which Rodimus, very deadpan, just responds with, We're in a hurry, give them the weapons. It's just wow, Rodimus. Way to way to be a buzzkill again. Yeah, like I feel like this this episode, like yeah, we, again, we we've much as we've talked about sort of Galvatron's uh, Galvatron's kind of story. Like I, I feel like maybe I've given them too much credit with like them painting Rodimus as the kind of like reluctant leader. Because at this point, I kind of switch from dude just sounds so bored like he just really doesn't want to be there and i can't tell whether this is just like the voice actor just being like oh i just hate this job or whether this is like all part of the character work and he's just like deep in character but we've gone way beyond just like you know rodimus wishes that he was still hot rods and just into like somebody needs to fire this guy like you know and i mean even (laughs) even the show like i I was kind of reflecting on this again off of the back of these episodes like you think about how pivotal like optimus prime is to practically every episode of season one and two like it's almost it's usually an important footnote of like oh this is an episode where you don't see optimus prime because it's so rare like he's usually there up front and center but like rodimus prime we don't see all that much of him in season three, really. Mm. There are a bunch of episodes where he gets kind of fleeting moments where he has a few lines to deliver, but I feel like we get more Ultra Magnus than we do Rodimus Prime in most episodes, probably because he's actually competent. Um, and But, you know, like, you see far more of him. And, again, it, I find that really fascinating in terms of, like, how all of this panned out across, like, the writing for the movie in this series, because, like... I mean, Ultra Magnus is designed to be Optimus Prime V2, right? His toy is literally white Optimus Prime with a bigger body that you can bolt it into. Um, And I wonder how all of that panned out, how that went from what seemed to be clearly like, you know, his toy was marketed as like the new leader, like him versus Galvatron. And then all of a sudden it's like, it's Hot Rod and Rodimus Prime. I feel like there's a fascinating story as to like how all of that came about in terms of like writing and marketing for those characters but this season it feels like it's still like ultra magnus is still kind of the guy Uh, and even in the comics i feel like ultra magnus was always the one that did a lot more stuff um and you know rodimus prime is always sort of backgrounded so i don't know whether it's just because nobody bought the toy or what the deal was there but i do find it really fascinating and yeah like this this is the episode where it's just like no like there there needs to be an intervention here there needs to be like an election or something to just be like (laughs) can we have a different leader because rodimus is really not into this at all yeah it's something we have spoken about before in in numerous forms just about rodimus and there is, there really is a feeling, especially at this point in the season. I don't know if that's going to change. Maybe in perhaps like in you know the coming weeks when we get through more episodes, maybe his role will ramp up a bit more. Maybe they're going to build to something. One would assume maybe that you know the finale, he might have another fairly integral role. But there is just this feeling of he is just very much in the background, like you say, and it's just a bit part player, which is not what you would expect. It's not what you would expect he him to be. Especially given how integral he was to the freaking opening and how well Joe you know, Andy, maybe, maybe, maybe. Maybe it's because he's tried to off himself so many times at this point in the show. They're just like, you know what? We need to just give him a break. 
Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or when they when they reconnected him after he tried that, they forgot to connect like the personality circuit of his <laughs> chip or something. But yeah, and I, I mean, it's strange because yeah, like there, there's some really interesting sort of stuff. You know, when it does sort of focus on him as a character i mean the whole um like dark awakening episode was actually pretty good from like you know the rodimus prime point of view of like you know he gets to revert to hot rod for a bit and he gets to kind of learn like you know the burden that he has to bear so and again maybe this is like a chronology thing as well um in terms of when we've watched this episode because i guess if this was maybe supposed to be before that happened and then dark awakening is the point where rodimus prime kind of realizes like oh i need to step up like you know because you know zombie op- even zombie optimus prime is better than me um and uh so, so maybe there's something going on there in terms of chronology but like man yeah this episode was just like you know y- you've gone from the iconic optimus prime to this guy and you know it's 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 a bit it's a bit much in doing a quick look for this on the tf wiki dark awakening is listed in, in the continuity as episode 73 but has a production code of 700-93. And Fight or Flee is episode 86 with a production code of 700-106. So, nope, Dark Awakening looks like it was always going to be before Fight or Flee. Okay, so Rodimus Prime just sucks. Cool. (laughs) Problem problem solved. (laughs) So, following on from from that rallying speech that Rodimus has not given there, (laughs) Sandstorm claims that their forefathers would fight as well as there are still protests from the natives about their traditions and their beliefs that they need to uphold. The Autobot leader gives them a simpler choice, Andy, one of which I'm sure you enjoyed because you like a good name check of an episode. Fight or flee. <laughs> yep, much. yep, I did. I Again, you know, capital letters here. I put milk times four. No, sorry. Um, yeah, I, I wrote, like, he said He said the title um, because, yeah, I, I, do, I do enjoy that and this was as good an episode as any to do that. So, f- fair play for that, at least. The Paradrons take up arms. At this point, we see Magnus, Wheelie, and Blur getting pinned down in a corridor of sorts by a bunch of Decepticons. Unfortunately for the Decepticons, their control of the planet is just far too much in the opinion of Rodimus because... Rodimus has now come to the conclusion that given the vast amounts of Energon on this planet, and in the core specifically, they can't risk the Decepticons having it, so Rodimus orders Ultra Magnus to destroy the Energon core, which in turn will destroy the planet. Yeah, if, if you had Galvatron wants to destroy a planet on your bingo card, then you've basically <laughs> got a free hit, because that's pretty much every episode where Galvatron appears. <laughs> Sandstorm objects to this at first, but agrees to the plan when he hears about how much danger the, the, the universe would be in, excuse me, if the Decepticons actually got all of this power. Plus, he learns that the Paradrons can just live on Cybertron, and apparently that's just fine. Yeah, it's, again, I mean, you, you can really, it's another one of those, like, well, I don't know, like Optimus Prime did some questionable things as well. but it's, <laughs> He it's literally very... sent an alien race to another planet for them to die. Yeah, exactly. You know, he killed Kremzeek, which, you know, I'm still, I'm still cut up about, poor little guy. Um, and, you <laughs> what, know, so what are those so metal cool. things called in season two that Cosmos got trapped in? I've totally forgotten. Yeah, I've forgotten what they were called, but yeah, like, they, they all got offed. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, uh, there, there is a point in this episode where I think Rodimus Prime literally says Cybertron's better anyway. <laughs> just, just like 
All right, okay. I mean, it's just like, what? When's he gonna do that with Earth? Like at some point of just like, ah, I prefer Cybertron. So I mean, maybe, maybe if you just blow up Earth, that would that be such a bad thing? You know, that... Rodimus being a freaking like fandom gatekeeper or something. You know? Yeah, yeah. I know. I mean, hey, hey, maybe, maybe that's the end of like the rebirth. Maybe that's the end of season four. Rodimus <laughs> is just like, ah, no, just just blow up Earth as well. Why, why not? Let's. I mean, that that would be the great kind of, like, twist ending where, like, Rodimus Prime actually ends up being the truly, like, malevolent evil one more so than Galvatron. <laughs> I'm just like, Cybertron's the only planet that matters, so why don't we just destroy everything else? <laughs> oh, excuse me. But there is a, there's so much to unpack here. So, at this point, the Paradrons flee the planet using convenient escape pods because, you know, Paradron is prepared for any calamity, apparently while Magnus and Sandstorm head for the core, which itself has its own defence system, seemingly, as Sandstorm tells Magnus they mustn't speak for, uh, for the first hundred yards inside, otherwise the place will collapse on them. It's a very strange and very like, specific thing but uh, i i suspect the real thing is just like sandstorm just didn't want ultra magnus to talk to him because he's also <laughs> kind of boring and it's like oh no if you talk it'll it'll collapse just please be quiet despite this magnus says something and ends up just having to catch a missile that's coming towards him in front of his face he then hurls it in front of him which it turns out andy is where the constructicons were just hanging out in a jeep <laughs> like you do I don't know what else to say. They plant a time bomb and the two Autobots hightail it out of there. Galvatron, at this point, sees them, tries to attack them, and sneers at their cowardice. Then remembers that Magnus is anything but a coward, senses that something is up, and then promptly tells the Decepticons to abandon the planet. <laughs> because you know what, Andy? For once, Galvatron's smart. Yep, yep, and you, you can't have an episode of Transformers without a Decepticon retreat, so, uh, you know, that's ticked that off of the, the obligations as well. At this point, we are in space, and the Autobots watch the planet explode. Sandstorm remarks that even in death, it's still beautiful. And in fact, no, wait, I've got the exact quote. So Sandstorm says, quote-unquote, it's beautiful in death as it was in life. To which Rodimus responds with, no need to get all mushy. Cybertron's a better place anyway. Not so perfect. <laughs> it's just like what a what a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> like you, I'm you, you're the, the planet that you've made your house. I mean, it's a bit like it's a bit like you know standing outside somebody's house as it burns to the ground and being like, never really liked the decor you had anyway. I mean, you that know. wallpaper you had, mate. You know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> the kitchen was rubbish. Like you know, and that. that not sure why you're so cut up about it so yeah Rod rodimus prime just yeah I, I think i actively dislike rodimus prime at this point like this episode <laughs> this episode turned me from like you know he has a complicated past he's struggling to come to terms with everything that's happened to him i understand him to like no he's just he's just a bit of an ass really i'm not you know i'm not i'm not into him anymore oh there's yeah there's, there's a lot to go that so before we get to like our specific feelings on the episode, as it were, should we see if the TF Wiki has any uh, trivia notes for us, Andy? Yes, indeed. Let's uh, let's see what it has. And, you, and I, I think I think that, that is, is there something exciting that, that will surprise me here? Uh, yes, yes, there will be. I'll, I'll get to that in a second because you aren't going to expect it at all. 
so as, as an interesting note for you, the first draft of this script was seemingly finalised by Flint Dilly in July of 1986. And apparently at that point, the episode was titled Fight or Die. <laughs> I mean, I mean, we've had so many other episodes that have had sort of like, you know, I mean, it's again that been the season three thing of like death is far more present in this series than previous ones. So in a way, fight or die, yeah, would maybe have have, uh, have worked just as well. Although, no, well, an entire planet dies, so actually, yeah, that would have that would have worked. <laughs> also worth noting that the script was finalized on the eleventh of July. Dialogue recording occurred on the thirty first of July that year. Yeah, that is that, that that would scan. So pretty quick turnaround on that. So that whole ending with the Autobots destroying Paradrom, it's not exactly a great look, is it? Says the TF Wiki. Well, that's because it's a holdover from an earlier version of the script, which contained a subplot deleted from the finished version of the episode. In this extended version of the story, the Decepticons turned Paradron into a colossal mobile battle fortress with Galvatron forcing a Paradronian scientist to build huge ion thrusters that would move the planet through space. With that in mind, it's a lot easier to understand why the Autobots felt it necessary to destroy the converted planet. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that both makes sense in terms of motivations and also makes sense in terms of why that was cut, because that's a lot to fit into this existing episode as it is. Like, I don't know how you'd how or where you'd kind of shoehorn all of that in like that almost feels like it would be a two-parter at this at that point so um so no that that makes sense that's all fair Rodimus Prime is still a jerk this is my my takeaway <laughs> unlike the two episodes that surround it this episode uses none of the new background music tracks that you pointed out in the last mm-hmm. podcast Andy that were introduced to the series beginning with Nightmare Planet As this episode also depicts the formal introduction of Sandstorm, which I mentioned earlier, who is otherwise first seen in Starscream's Ghost, ostensibly produced 11 episodes prior, it is possible that this episode suffered production delays and was subsequently assigned a different production number, a not unheard of occurrence in television production. As yet, however, no production document has surfaced to confirm this. Yeah, it definitely it definitely feels that way in, in, in a lot of ways. And again, I, I think even that the Rodimus Prime stuff does feel like this should have happened earlier in the series. So yeah, I fully suspect that that's what happened with the script. So yeah, that adds up. Rodimus Prime's still a joke, but yeah. On that note, uh, the other note here is Rodimus Prime destroys an entire planet rather than letting the Decepticons have it and isn't too kind to Sandstorm as he mourns its loss. And people wonder why so many people prefer Optimus Prime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I know we got a kick out of this last time. I've had a quick look at like the sort of the, the sort of foreign localization titles for this episode. It pretty much are all fight or flee. I did enjoy that the that the German translation, as it were, effectively has two different titles depending if it's Generation One or Generation Two. Okay. Generation One translates as "If you don't fight, you're going to die." Whereas the Generation 2 one translates as a perfect world. <laughs> it's quite, quite a schism between those two. <laughs> and then the Japanese title was apparently originally Fight or Death. Oh, sorry, no, wait, I've got to... Sorry, Fight or Death? Question <laughs> <Best in> mark. <laughs> Literally. So, the fun anecdote I've got for you now about this episode. 
This episode was written by, I believe the name was pronounced Tony Cinciprini, excuse me, and Larry Leahy. Now, when I saw this appear at the beginning of the episode, I saw Larry Leahy's name and I thought, why does that name sound really familiar to me? And I did a cursory Google and it turns out he was one of my lecturers when I went to film school in Los Angeles in 2004 and 2005. (laughs) Well, there, there you go. It's a small world. I know, right? I've not spoken to him for a very long time, but you know, sometimes you just see a name and you're like, oh, wow. And he actually um, he actually directed my final student film there at school as well. So I've, I've like, worked with him and whatnot as well. And his his other credits since Transformers, he was like script coordinator on Road to Perdition, which was the Tom Hanks film, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very much like Fight or Flee, really. Exactly, right? Exactly. And also like was script coordinator on Spanglish, has written a few other things as well. And has obviously got some producer and director credits and such to his name as well. So it was quite a blast from the past for me, suddenly seeing his name pop up in the credits and just thinking, oh my god, like, a writer for a Transformers episode, like, was a lecturer of mine and directed my student film at film school. Like, what <laughs> yeah. the heck? <laughs> that, 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 is, that is crazy. I mean, just, just, just the idea that you've gone from an episode of Transformers to something like Road to Perdition in itself is kind of <laughs> crazy. And then you add that in as an extra layer that... That is quite something. I mean, I could also mention he was script coordinator for Deep Impact. Okay, yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's fair. I mean, th- this is weird. Like, I feel like <laughs> between the podcasts that I do, like, I've had Deep Impact just keeps coming up in all of the podcasts that I'm on. <laughs> and yeah, exactly. Like, I don't know why. Like, I mean, literally, you know, the, the manga podcast that I co-host, the a couple, we've had like two consecutive episodes, I think, where Deep Impact has come up as well. And now this, like, I don't, I don't know how to pass this or what this means, but Deep Impact has far more cultural significance than it perhaps should <laughs> is what I'm taking away from all of this. There you go. Now you've got the perfect content to bring it up for a third episode, haven't you? So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like maybe I just maybe this is the world telling me I need to make a deep impact podcast at some point. I don't know. <laughs> it's, so yeah, that's my fun little personal anecdote there for for fight or flee for you. But you know what? Overall, Andy, and this is not just me saying this because you know the right. I've quite frankly, you know, I know the right one of the writers to a degree. I did enjoy this episode. That other subplot that the TF Wiki mentioned, I would really like to have seen that, but in one episode, there's no way you can make that work. It's effectively another Unicron, in essence. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think this, yeah, would have to have been a two-parter if you'd, like, shoehorn that in. But yeah, like, this is this is a pretty solid episode. Like, I feel like it has some good action scenes. It has some, some good character moments. It has some good, you know, some good dialogue, as we've mentioned. Um, and yeah, like it's, it's pretty, it's pretty decent. Um, it's, it is, I think it is genuinely a shame that it didn't end up like earlier in the timeline and the chronology of this series in terms of introing Sandstorm and the stuff around Rodimus. Cause I think uh, then it would have felt even stronger as kind of like a continuity, whereas this feels weirdly out of place. And I think that the questions about when the script was written versus when it was actually slotted in kind of all adds up there. But, uh, but yeah, it's a pretty, pretty, pretty good episode overall. So from there, everyone, we must advance as we now go to Season 3, Episode 16, Web World. I won't lie, Andy, when I saw the title, I originally thought, oh, we're going to get, like, the dawn of the internet in Transformers World. 
boy yeah. was I wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, this is not. This this is. I I mean, I I guess it 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 plays differently, like in the in the eighties. But yeah, like modern me was like, oh, this is gonna be. They're gonna go inside a computer or something, and it's like, no, no, they're not. <laughs> We begin with the Decepticons approaching an asteroid belt, searching for a, ma- a material known as isidrite. I think it's pronounced, Andy. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. I think it was... Was it isodrite? Isodrite. That might be what it is, yeah. To repair some weaponry of theirs. Galvatron, at this point, is sort of ranting about crushing his enemies and everyone else. And Ratbat, at this point, finds a deposit of isodrite, which is already being mined by the Autobots. Q Cyclonus, not doing his best Victor, Victor Melder impression from One Foot in the Grave. I don't believe it! Autobots! <laughs> if you're not British, you will not get that reference at all. I'm sorry, everyone. Also, let's let's add this to the list of things that Transformers invented and actually did first. Like Victor Meldrum's catchphrase is actually a callback to Cyclonus in the Web World episode of Transformers, as it turns out. It turns out one of the writers of One Foot in the Grave was a big Transformers fan. I mean, yeah, maybe he wrote the script for it. Who knows? It turns out that there's a, a, a wildly varying career path after you write for this show. So. <laughs> a battle ensues because, quote-unquote, according to Skylinks, a rival geological survey has arrived. <laughs> which I got a kick out of that line. <laughs> During which Galvatron spends nearly as much time bashing his own troops as he does the Autobots. For example, Cyclonus is imploring Galvatron to use some strategy, but Galvatron basically doesn't give a damn and says that strategy is for cowards. <laughs> this is my favourite. I, 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 I want to have that printed on like some like motivational poster with just a picture of Galvatron, just like strategy is for cowards that I just put up on a wall somewhere. There is a lot of action happening here, including some tussle between Magnus and Galvatron specifically. Cyclonus saying, after Galvatron is kicked into a wall by one of the Dinobots that was there, We must help him! Scourge then responds with, As he helped us, Cyclonus? (laughs) (laughs) Just some great dialogue here. And then, with his help, the bemused Autobots then make a clean escape aboard Skylinks. We cut back to Char, where Motormaster and Swindle are having some words with Cyclonus about Galvatron, and his conduct that basically boils down to the following point. Either do something about Galvatron's madness or face a rebellion. That's pretty much what it boils down to. A holographic image of a Quintesson then appears in front of Cyclonus. Quote-unquote, Greetings, Cyclonus. Galvatron's actions grow more amusing by the day. Quote, and then advises him that there are planets which specialise in repairing damaged mines, such as Torculon. Now, not knowing what else to do, and also should be said, he outright is just basically going, why the hell would I trust you? F-? I think he called him, why, why would I trust you, Five Face? Which I thought was a great little insult towards a Quintesson, actually. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he could have said, with your Five Faces of Darkness, and then looked at the <laughs> camera, and I would have liked it more. But yes, that's, it, was, it, was, it was good. But the key detail is that Cyclonus is considering the idea. And while the Quintessons, we then see them, the we the viewer that is, see them gloating amongst themselves that shortly they will have several less Transformers to deal with, including, quote-unquote, the most dangerously unpredictable of them all. I'm guessing they mean Galvatron. Cyclonus then lies to Galvatron. 
he's informing him that, that the Autobots are now resting on Torculon after their most recent skirmish. And the deranged Decepticon leader eagerly takes the bait and begins flying to the planet with Cyclonus and the Sweeps. Upon landing, Galvatron threatens several alien flesh creatures that are lurking about, demanding that they hand over Ultra Magnus. He begins climbing a sort of structure of some sort, and then comes across an inhabitant, which is a small impish-looking creature. Then he begins looking at other similar structures, and there's different types of creatures, each saying a mixture of random gibberish, or even in one case, someone speaking in tongue. Then a more intelligent creature arrives, who we come to find out are sort of referred to as Torculi, according to the TF Wiki. When Galvatron predictably refuses their order for non-violence, as he begins giving them some verbals and, to, and the other creatures as well, the Torculi restrain Galvatron. Quote-unquote, Entity exhibits a severe failure in reality processing and a malignant plasma neural tick. You were wise to bring him here says one of the Torculi to Cyclonus as they begin to restrain Galvatron once he's threatening them. Galvatron quickly realises that Cyclonus has deceived him. And then at this point, Gal Galvatron is carried away to begin his therapy, <laughs> while Cyclonus is filling out a small ream of paperwork, quite literally. Yeah, and, 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 and Cy Cyclonus makes a terrible, terrible error here in that he rips up the receipt. Like, keep keep your receipts, man. Like, if, if you need a refund later. I, I, know, I mean, he basically asked for a refund at some point later. It's like, you didn't keep the receipt, did you? You, you messed up. <laughs> I also like the fact that he, he signed his name just by giving a thumbprint. Yeah, well, that was, that was kind of an interesting little kind of sort of local flavour. Because what he's doing there is it's like his seal. So it's like a Japanese family seal rather than like a fingerprint. Oh, good point. And it's like, it's this really interesting little bit of kind of Japanese culture that sneaks into this Western cartoon because it's mostly animated by like, you know, Japanese and Korean stuff. Because I was like, oh, that's really weird. And it's like, oh, wait, it's actually like kind of a, a family seal kind of thing that, you know, you would use to stamp paperwork in Japan. I didn't realise it was a seal. That's a really nice observation, that. And yeah, and so it's just this kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, that's that's sort of like a, a weird little thing that, that crept through. We begin to see the Torculi scan Galvatron and properly analyse him, restraining him inside a cage that can be manipulated in various forms and shapes to keep him physically at bay. They highlight that there's quote-unquote embrittlement of the metaprocessing circuitry. No wonder he's always on the brink of perpetual crash, quote. It's also referenced in the previous scene, that they're guessing this is to do with plasma damage, which I thought, Andy, was a nice little callback to Five Faces of Darkness Part 2, how they found Galvatron. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's sort of interesting, yeah, whether they were, like, referencing that, or whether there's also kind of a reference to, like, Megatron's transformation into Galvatron, because I'm just assuming, like, plasma was somehow involved, because whenever anything cool happens in sci-fi, it's always plasma that's somehow responsible, so I'm assuming that there's some, like, you know, weird thing that's happened there when he's he's been, like, converted as well. But yeah, it was a nice, it was a nice little touch to kind of suggest that there's sort of, like, a background reason for it, rather than just, you know, the, the usual, like, boring, just like, yeah, he's, he's just mad. <laughs> The Torculi then move Galvatron to an advanced treatment facility while he's threatening to end Cyclonus' life in various ways, it should be said. As the therapy proceeds, Scourge 
has his doubts, quote-unquote. This is stupid. Let's get him out of here. But Cyclonus says, at least give it a chance. Silly Cyclonus. The Torculi are unsuccessful in getting Galvatron to talk about his problems in a scene where he's literally just being restrained on, like, a bed, trying to get him to answer questions. And they're even less successful when they have him trying to put together external objects to help repair his psyche because he just builds himself a gun and tries to blast his own way out of there. I was going to say, like, I, I felt like that was their mistake, really, of like, oh, you know, assembling an object can help you assemble things in your mind. So let's give him a gun to assemble. It's like, <laughs> no, maybe give him a Rubik's Cube or something. You know, not, not a weapon, but okay. Finally, they attempt, quote unquote, exodrama, where patients act out their problems. And there's like a bouncing alien in front of Galvatron that's just <laughs> screaming incessantly. <laughs> and then it just causes Galvatron just to snap further, basically shouting back, I'll give you something to shout about! Yeah, oh, that was just... I don't know what it was specifically about that, but it made me laugh so hard that that was their thing, that it's just this, like, bouncing, screaming alien, and it's just like, shut up! Uh, that was, yeah, that was that was great. I, I loved that moment. <laughs> One of the other recurring themes that I've not mentioned is that part of the way that the Torculi have been restraining Galvatron is they effectively fire their own sort of stun gun at him, in essence. It kind of just makes him... Not cease, that's the wrong word. Just makes him stop where he is and he just can't move. Effectively paralyzes him. Galvatron has now become resistant to that because he's been shot so many times by it. Just... Yeah, yeah. It's, it's basically their kind of like, it's, it's like robot tranquilizer dart, effectively. But yeah, if you keep giving people tranquilizers, they build up an immunity. And yeah, like, th that's the thing that I actually really like about this episode. It has a lot of nice little touches to it mm -hmm. um, that really make it make it work. And it sort of feels thought through in, in a way that is, is enjoyable. I mean, you know, Galvatron Goes to Therapy is enjoyable in itself. I'm hoping you're going to tell me that was like the German title of this episode, not Webworld. Um, but, I will uh, make but... sure to look that up in a second for you. <laughs> yeah, like, because I mean, really, the, the, they could have solved this episode by just calling it like Galvatron Goes to Therapy a, a lot more easily. But uh, but anyway, I digress. So the Torculi have been throwing everything at Galvatron, but now they are res restraining him for their last resort, the Alia Solution. This prompts sort of the following dialogue exchange. <clears throat> Galvatron saying, I am Galvatron, greatest of the Decepticons. You have no right to change what I am. To which the Torculi simply responds with, but you've already been changed. That's the problem. <laughs> That's why your friend brought you here. Prepare him for maximal intervention. <laughs> Cyclonus then just says, wait, I demand to know what you're going to do to him. The Torculi just then responds with, we're going to cure his processing problem, obviously. Cyclonus then responds with, before being cut off, cure? Why have you waited so long to... And then the Torculi cuts in by saying, because this procedure may also cure him of being Galvatron. We then see bugs resembling what I've written down, Andy, is like a praying mantis, because it was the only thing I could think of where it kind of looks similar. They sort of just start appearing from the ground, which in and of itself is quite weird. And the chief therapist reveals that Torculon itself is a living planet, specifically calling it, quote-unquote, one vast living computer. 
and can manifest itself in the form of an insectoid creature that consumes the damaged portions of those who cannot be helped. In effect, as the TF Wiki, in my opinion, Andy, perfectly sums it up, lobotomizing the planet's victim and leaving them mindless. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, another interesting thing about this episode is like when you actually sit back and think about this, this this gets pretty dark, really. Yeah. Like you know, the, what what's going on here is like pretty pretty alarming, um, and and it's sort of there, there's a bit of body horror in terms of like how it gets sort of depicted as, as as it goes through this process as well, which is again one of those sort of interesting season three moments of like we didn't have anything quite like this in the first couple of seasons. This is this is going somewhere. I was trying to think of like an earlier episode that was just fun in games, but I couldn't think of one like from season one or something. Like, <laughs> this ain't no fire on the mountain. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, this is this is not Decepticon Raiders in King Arthur's Court. Anymore. There you go. <laughs> That's to, to go season two on you. Like, it's very different to that. Cyclonus protests to this and demands that Galvatron be released. But at this point, he and Scourge are now also restrained by the Torculi, preventing them from getting involved. Cyclonus then says, quote-unquote, You were supposed to repair his mind, not destroy it! The Torculi simply respond with, We tried. It's beyond repair. <laughs> Cyclonus then just says, No! Without Galvatron, the Decepticons are finished! <laughs> this is where we've got to run with the Decepticons. This is the high bar we have now for where the Decepticons are at in just life in general. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, long gone are like the peak days of of Megatron, and it. But again, it's it's sort of it's an interesting point where like they need Galvatron and they need a lunatic in charge, but just not this much lunatic. And it's like you know, it's sort of a really interesting thing. Like they need a megalomaniac to to run the place, but it's just like Galvatron's gone a bit too far. The Alia begin to feed on Galvatron, who is continuing to resist, it should be noted as well. We are then told that the planet itself will effectively absorb the damage that the bug creature will feed on, and will also disable the processor unit. I hope that makes sense, everyone, because that was really confusing to write down as well. But something goes wrong. The madness of Galvatron proves to be too strong for this living planet to handle producing feedback, quote-unquote, causing it to malfunction and almost cause a mini-earthquake in the process. As Cyclonus very much aptly put it, the whole planet has been infected with Galvatron's madness. In the chaos, Galvatron, Scourge, and Cyclonus are released from the planet's grasp, and after taking a few shots at Cyclonus, quite literally, for getting him in all of this mess, Galvatron then fights his way to the center of the planet having and so to try and clarify here because the planet had in effect connected to galvatron's mind galvatron was also in the planet's mind so he knows where like the center of the planet is and where like the control port is if, effectively so he's now fighting his way down there powers his way through to the living computer core he then transforms and ends up just blowing up the core in the process. The entire planet is now just inoperable. It doesn't work, quite frankly. There's all sorts of carnage going on. Galvatron informs Cyclonus that he will now destroy whatever is left, and warns Cyclonus against stopping him. After the planet is reduced to smoke and rubble, Galvatron gloats over the beauty of, quote-unquote, devastation wrought with precision and care. <laughs> 
so he's seemingly just a tad more sane from all of us, Andy. This is until Cyclonus informs Galvatron that it will take the Torculi centuries to rebuild this planet. So Galvatron at this point then decides his work is not done if it's only going to take only, sorry, if it's going to take only centuries, as he put it. But a weary Cyclonus suggests that the Autobots might be more of a pressing concern. Galvatron smiles at the prospect of killing Ultra Magnus, and the Decepticons flee the planet, leaving the Torculi at the mercy of their insane former patients. Including one which, I'm pretty sure Andy, just attacked a guy from behind with his tongue. Mm-hmm. Yep, while screaming "Mummy," um, <laughs> which was uh, which was was uh, what better way to end an episode? This is quite the episode, Andy. I appreciate we've just blitzed through all of that, but really, that was probably the most succinct way to do it because there isn't a lot to analyze in this. But as a concept of a story, though, it focusing on Galvatron's mind, I loved it as a concept. I wish they'd have gone a bit deeper into it and maybe had shown him or even just been able to analyze more, like, the cause of what he is. Even, if, like you said, was it him transforming, or sorry, being, being converted, if you were reformatted, from Megatron to Galvatron? Was it the plasma stuff on Five Faces of Darkness? Like, I wish they had kind of been able to analyze a bit more of that, but as we have to remind ourselves periodically, somehow, this is a kid's cartoon. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's a twenty minute kids cartoon at that, so there's maybe not too much time for it. But uh, yeah, like I, I find this episode really fascinating. Like you know, it's gonna start well when you get Rat Bat, because I think we were literally saying on the previous episode, like, are we gonna get any more Rat Bat? And yes, we are, and there he was, um, <laughs> albeit only fleetingly. Um, also, Shockwave sounded like he had a, a Shockwave Soundwave sounded like he had a sore throat. Um, for his like one voice line I think they just forgot to like modulate his voice with like the robot stuff that they do but it was it was an interesting insight into like oh that's how Soundwave's voice sounds when you don't do the cool effects on it Um, but yeah like getting into the episode proper like yeah it's, it's super interesting just to see an episode lean entirely on Galvatron the lunatic um, you know the, the the whole action scene bit at the start is kind of really cool and you know using that as a portrayal of like Galvatron is now so unhinged he will spend most of his time attacking his own troops and not the opposition um you know is a really good way of kind of underlining that and again I think it's like Skylinks that mentions that it's like oh well seems he's doing all the work for us um which is <laughs> which was, was also good but yeah I mean it's I'm genuinely not sure like how to read the way this episode plays a lot of the kind of the psychoanalyst stuff because it feels like it's trying to part of me thinks this is like a dumb goofy episode that it's trying to play out in terms of just like a just like haha isn't therapy funny because this was the 80s and you know it was a less enlightened time mm-hmm. um uh, and and you know just as a, as a, a more sort of general like riff on that kind of stuff but then there's part of me that looks at that and, you know, like I say, it all goes a bit sort of body horror meets ghost in the shell when you they start, like, delving into Galvatron's mind and, and you know, the, the, that infects the planet. Um, so it sort of feels like there's sort of a more serious undertone to it as well that is a genuine kind of, like, question about why Galvatron is this way. And, and it is, I, I'm with you on this, it would be... It feels like they missed a really good uh, opportunity to use some stock footage of just like, we're going into Galvatron's mind, we're going to find the things that have damaged it beyond repair. And they could have had a little mini clip show in there of 
Megatron being turned into Galatron. Maybe even like you know Megatron losing losing quote unquote Optimus Prime in the movie. Um, you know him being taking lava baths on Char. Whatever you could have a little montage of you know Galvatron's least great hits in terms of stuff bad Cosmic things that happened to him. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. You could even go back to yeah, like you know, and say this is. This is damage that is built up to his psyche, not just as Galvatron, but like throughout his time as Megatron. And there's there's a really again, this sort of goes back to what I was saying at the start. Like I'd really love sort of like a comic book version of this that delves deep into like the core conceits that are set up here. Because I think there's a really interesting, like, here's a thing through Megatron's history. You could even go right back to, you know, sort of when we see the whole like Orion Pax thing and kind of Megatron as sort of young commander who's sort of, you know, railing against things, you know, th there's a whole history to this character and his psychology that is sort of fascinating, like, would be fascinating to dig into. And like you say, kids cartoon, not going to happen. Um, but it would have, it would have been interesting to do. Um, but yeah, this is, this is a good, a good episode. Like I, I like how different it is from your average episode here. Like, again, it's not about Energon. It's not about, you know, capturing or blowing up a planet although ultimately it turns out that way <laughs> um but you know it's about something very different and it's really interesting to see galvatron's madness not just being kind of you know a character trait that is just there throughout the series like it's really fascinating to have that kind of go to a point where cyclonus is acknowledging like this is a problem. Like we need to do something, and then of course the Quintessons basically phoning him up to troll him and be like, hey, "Your leader's gone bonkers, huh?" Um, which is pretty good. Um, but no, it's, it's a really interesting episode, and I, I I I enjoyed it. And it it feels this is another episode where it feels like the writers enjoyed it as well. Again, maybe for slightly kind of weird ends of just like poking fun at, at kind of therapy and, and mental illness which is not so great um but uh, you know I, I think the general gist of what it was doing there was there was clearly you know it was it was having a fun time examining some of this stuff agreed so let's go to the tf wiki for some trivia notes and what i actually want to begin with andy is a, a note about the writers of this episode and it's nothing like the last episode i'm gonna say that now <laughs> like we're gonna say it's, it's gonna be actually the right the writers are here right now <laughs> tell us what happened in what so this episode was written let me just double check my uh, notes here it was written by len ween or len wine however you meant to pronounce it pardon me and diane duane i believe is the pronunciation now diane duane was an American writer who is perhaps, according to the TF Wiki, best known for her work on Star Trek and her So You Want to Be a Wizard Young Adult books. Now, in looking at IMDb, for anyone curious, she's got a lot of TV writing credits, including Star Trek The Next Generation specifically, that being the episode where no one has gone before, as well as then writing, going to write on episodes of Gargoyles. There's also... A Batman the Animated Series, variety of things in there as well. DuckTales is credited here. So Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo, Flintstones, The Fonz and the Happy Days Gang. So quite a wide variety of sort of TV writing credits there. Another interesting writing credit for this uh, is Len Wein, Len Wein, however you meant to pronounce it, pardon me. Because he uh, was an American writer, perhaps best known for co-creating Swamp Thing for DC Comics and for writing giant size X-Men number one for Marvel Comics, 
in which he co-created some of the most X-Men's popular characters, including Storm, Colossus, Nightcrawler, and Wolverine. Hmm. So there's a fun little uh, TV anecdote for you there. In terms of trivia notes for the episode specifically, we've sort of alluded to this already, but I think it's worth just sort of fleshing this out a bit more. Some allusion is made to Galvatron's former life as Megatron. While he, while the Torculi are attempting to lobotomize him, the Decepticon leader states that they have no right to change what he is, to which the Doctor replies, you have already been changed, that's the problem. On the other hand, this could also be taken to mean the change away from his saner personality from the movie. Speaking of which, the TF Wiki says, the Torculi diagnosed Galvatron's madness as being caused by a plasma accident, referring to the dunk that he took in Thrall's plasma pools in Five Faces of Darkness. So, lending to both of our theories there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, a random note for you, apparently a classic Looney Tunes sound effect used for Roadrunner shows up as the Decepticons fly across the title screen. Yeah, that <laughs> sounds... There was, def- there was definitely a kind of like, where did that sound effect come from moment that I had <laughs> in that episode, and that was probably the one. So, this is by far the most Decepticon-centric episode of the series. The the Autobots are only on screen for part of the first act specifically. Twice in this episode, when Cyclonus takes him to Torquilon to look for the Autobots, and when leaving the planet in search of the Autobots, Galvatron says, quote-unquote, Ultra Magnus, as if Ultra Magnus is leader of the Autobots. To be fair, by this point in the show, Magnus is, Magnus is usually the one issuing orders. So, <laughs> yeah, but that yeah, lends it, to what you were saying, Andy. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is interesting how, like, you know, all of the Transformers fiction really had leaned on that as like Ultra Magnus is the guy, and uh, yeah, clearly, clearly rubbed off on Galvatron as well. In a nice ironic note here. Motormaster is the one to declare an ultimatum of rebellion against Galvatron to Cyclonus, but considering that he was the first Decepticon to loyally, loyally, excuse me, donate Energon to help find Galvatron and Five Faces of Darkness Part One, that's quite a moment. Yeah, I did, I did, I did think about that at the time of just like, hey, hang on a minute, weren't, weren't you the guy who was all, all in on the Galvatron train previously? How times change. So, episode titles, Andy. In France, apparently the episode's original title was The Web World. Which, actually, exploring that for a second, what is it... Am I just missing something plainly obvious? What is it about Web World? I I mean, like, the cages that everybody was kind of in were were basically, like, webs. And I I think, you know, a, a lot of the stuff that, you know... The living planets, like connecting to patients, was all sort of web-based. If you'll excuse the the weird turn of phrase. Um, mm. So I think, yeah, it, it feels really clunky when you look at it like that. Because I got close to the end of the episode, I'd be like, well, I've not really seen any webs. And then I think there's just like a throwaway line where they mention that like the cages are webs, effectively, or something. Okay. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess that's, I guess that works. But Galvatron goes to therapy, is still a better episode title. <laughs> So apparently, uh, the Russian and Mandarin names for the episode literally both translate as Webworld. The Japanese title for this was The Planet of the Spider's Nest. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's even less. <laughs> no, not, not really. <laughs> the, Itali- now, the Italian uh, name, excuse me, has got two titles noted here because there was a first and second dub of it. 
the first dub was The Madness Planet. Yeah, that's that's more like it. I'm, I'm in for that. And then the second dub literally called it The Web World. Yeah, yeah. Mad- Madness Planet or Planet of Madness or something would have been a way better title. But I, again, I wonder if that's one of those, like, well, you can't call something mad in a title. Mm. And uh, the, the German translation goes very literal, I think, Andy, in this, because they simply call it Galvatron Goes Crazy. Yeah, there, there you go. <laughs> there's there's the there's the way that you sell people on this episode. Galvatron goes crazy. I mean, it sounds a little too close to Girls Gone Wild or something, but, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'll take it. <coughs> oh, my God. I was not ready for that. <laughs> it's just Gal- Galvatron's <laughs> learned pole dancing. Oh, no. What do, what do we do, Cyclonus? If there was one thing I was never expecting to get mentioned on this podcast, Andy, it was that. Oh, my God. <laughs> I just, I, I've got to move on from Deep Impact somehow. <laughs> so, from there, everyone, we advance to our final episode on this edition of the podcast. It's time to talk Season 3, Episode 17, Ghost in the Machine. Now, I think, Andy, for the benefit of continuity, and we've mentioned this before as well, that if you would like to go back, everybody, and actually hear our thoughts on the Starscream's Ghost episode, you can go back to podcast number 22 in the archives of our show, and you can hear our thoughts on the episode specifically. But from a continuity point of view, I'm just going to sort of read out the sort of the closing, the closing moments, if you will, of what occurred in the episode. Just so we've got that firmly in the brain, Andy, so we can see how much does this actually carry on from that episode. So, the closing moments of Starscream's Ghost, the episode. Cyclonus, who at this point is possessed by Starscream, and Octane return to Char and and lounge on Galvatron's throne, gloating about their successful ambush. But their mood is quickly spoiled by the appearance of a battered and vengeful Galvatron. Starscream then reveals his identity to the, the Decepticon leader, who fires at him just as he exits Cyclonus's body. The gutshot Cyclonus mumbles that the last thing he remembers is being in the Decepticon crypt. Galvatron orders Cyclonus to be repaired, and Scourge acknowledges the command, then giggles with Starscream's voice, as an image of the ghost of Starscream as well becomes slightly visible over him. To be continued at some point. That point being now. Ghost in the Machine, episode 17, begins on Char. The Decepticons are following Galvatron when Starscream's ghost appears and possesses Scourge. Despite his better effort, Starscream forces Scourge to fire on Galvatron, and after being branded as a traitor, is forced to flee with Cyclonus in pursuit on command from Galvatron. After originally intending to send the Predacons to go and get him, Cyclonus says it should be him and his troops that do this. Let's pause there for a second, Andy, because a lot's happened in that paragraph I've just read out. So, clearly there's already a little bit of a continuity flaw as to how Scourge is possessed, but we do inherently have Scourge being possessed, and then he just attacks Galvatron? <laughs> it's it's quite a moment, actually, and quite that moment of just freaking kill him and do it. it it's, a, it's a really dynamic start to the episode. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's... It... It, it does feel weird when you compare those two episodes and it's sort of, again, a surprising, like they had a good opportunity to like reuse some footage, but like just, just went with something new. Um, but yeah, like the, the whole bit with kind of Scourge sort of fighting against Starscream's control is, is pretty cool actually. Like there's a good sort of back and forth where he's like 
sort of trying not to shoot and trying to make clear that, you know, he's not in control of his own faculties and then sort of Starscream, you know, sort of retaking control and, and so on and so forth. I mean, it is particularly hilarious that they're just like, ah, Scourge must be a traitor, seemingly for, having forgotten that, like, 15 minutes before, like, you know, somebody else was doing the exact same thing. Like, no, nobody here is joining the dots of, like, something suspicious is happening. Like, something seems to be taking control of high-ranked Decepticons and making them shoot Galvatron or kind of, you know, bring Galvatron to to, to a, a bad end. Um, so, you know, maybe not the smartest uh, play from the Decepticons, but um, yeah, it's, it's a good strong start to the episode. It's a good excuse to kind of get Scourge away from everybody else and to have some different machinations going on. Um, and so, yeah, like it's pretty, it's pretty strong as, as these things go. I will say now, in a bit to be a little bit of a devil's advocate here, but roll with me on this for a second. Because in 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 the ordering that we're watching this, which in theory was the order they were broadcast, because there has been that little bit of time now between the Starscream's Ghost episode and this episode, obviously Cyclonus has been fixed, and you could always play on the idea that Starscream has tried to possess Scourge a number of times, but has clearly kept putting up a fight, and that maybe this was the time he finally couldn't sort of ward him off. So what we saw at the end of the episode was him first trying it, and it's just kind of been lying in wait to strike. If you want to put that theory out there, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but either way, it is still a tad weird. But I had that in my brain, thinking on a timeline point of view. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is a tad weird. Like, it's the ghost of Starscream <laughs> getting into people's bodies. Like, you know, I don't really know how any of this works. And and again, it's the thing that is really bizarre, like, across this episode in particular, because we see Starscream jumping bodies quite a bit, and he's desperate to, like, get his own body back. And it's like, mate, I think you're in a pretty good place when you can just possess whatever Decepticon or whatever Transformer you like whenever you like. This seems, like, advantageous over just being Starscream, um, it's like, why not just possess Galvatron's body, to be quite honest? Just cut, cut out the middleman. Um, maybe, again, maybe there's an interesting, like, Galvatron's too mad to be able to, like, take control of, blah, blah, blah. Um, but I'm, I just found myself, like, going through this episode thinking, no, Starscream should just carry on being a ghost because he seems to be, you know, in a pretty good spot where he can do whatever he likes um, for, the, for the most part. A apart from dropping things as we will get to <laughs> cyclonus follows as far as cybertron where he breaks off in part because he'll be picked up on radar but also because he assumes that scourge is now defecting to the autobots but that is not starscream's goal as when he is leaving char we hear the following dialogue exchange between scourge and starscream who is possessing him scourge saying where are you taking me? Starscream responding with, To Unicron. I want my old body back, and he's the only one who can give it to me. I won't lie, Andy, I'm actually getting a little bit of goosebumps now as I'm sort of saying it. When he said to Unicron, I pretty much just shouted, Oh, shit! <laughs> because I didn't expect that to be the play we were going with here. And it was a wonderful surprise. And finally, some more unicron related hijinks happening yeah yeah and i mean it's sort of 
I feel like this season has sort of been teasing it throughout because, as we mentioned previously, like everyone goes hangs out in Unicron's head when they've got nothing better to do, and you know there's clearly like working systems there, and there's always that kind of threat hanging around, quite literally, just floating around the planet. That's just like Unicron's still there, and like how, I mean, if Starscream can be a ghost, like why? Can Unicron not also still be like functional in some shape or form? Uh, and it's sort of it's cool to see that followed through on. And it also makes kind of logical sense. Like we know Unicron can, you know, reform bodies and do all sorts of weird stuff. So yeah, like, yeah. I mean, Unicron's a wizard basically. Um, <laughs> so you know, why why not? It, it makes perfect sense. Like if if. Starscream wants his body back. Yeah, like, of course Unicron's the only person that can do that. Fast forward now. We arrive at the severed head of Unicron floating in space. Now, Scourge protests... Scourge's protesting to what is going on, but it's of no use as Starscream is in complete control of his body. Using Scourge, he reactivates the head of Unicron, if you will, and we hear a familiar deep voice, Andy... Simply saying, and I don't know if I can do this justice at all, I am, I can't, but whatever, but I am Unicron, who awakens me. And again, Andy, not just trying to throw hyperbole here or anything, but when we got, I, I'm guessing it's not Orson Welles' voice and it was just like random outtakes, but when we got that voice again, there was that moment of just, oh my god, like, this is getting big now, what is going on here? It was a proper wonderful moment when it happened albeit with far less production value. Yeah, I, I, I didn't look at who's like credited as the voice actor for Unicron because, yeah, like clearly not Orson Welles because, as we know, he died shortly after filming that. But uh, it's, it's a really good kind of... It's a really good, you know, Orson Welles-esque effort. Um, even, like, as he goes on, like, some of the pronunciation is kind of really sort of... It leans into the way it was delivered in the movie... Um, and given that they could have just gone with like generic deep voice and be like, ah, don't worry about it too much. I mean, you think about like Galvatron and the, the difference in his voice between film and season three. Um, it was kind of nice to see they, they really tried to make it as close as, as humanly possible or, or robotically possible, perhaps. <laughs> in doing a quick search, Andy, before we go any further, according to IMDb, in this episode... The voice of Unicron is done by Roger C. Carmel, who is the voice of Cyclonus. Okay, yeah, that that makes sense because yeah, Cyclonus also has some some good good deep deep baritone going on. So uh, so yeah, that's that's cool. But no, it's, it's it's a job well done, that's for sure. Indeed. So leaving Scourge's body at this point after Unicron is now reawakened, Starscream returns to his ghost form and says. Unicron, let me introduce myself. I am Starscream. Unicron just responds with, What do you wish from Unicron? Starscream retorts with, I want my old body back, so let's make a deal. Unicron then says, Yes, Unicron can grant your request, but only after you've performed three labours. Starscream's response, Only three? Name them! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which I, I really liked because it's like, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll I'll do that. But yeah, the 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 classic, you know, three 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 wishes, three things you've got to do. At this point, we see Scourge escape, but then promptly stops and returns when we hear Starscream tell him, "Hey, where do you think you're going? You can't go back to Char." 
To which Scourge thinks about it and then says, you're right. I've got nowhere to go. Because of you, Galvatron thinks I tried to kill him. Starscream's response, oh, calm down. (laughs) By now, Unicron is done listening to this babble and makes it known that the first labor is to bring him Metroplex's eyes. And with nowhere else to go, at this point, Scourge also agrees to serve Unicron. We then cut to Earth. Cup arrives for an, an inspection of Autobot City slash Metroplex. Take your pick, everybody. When Scourge and Starscream make their move. While Cup is congratulating Blaster on, on his work in maintaining things at Autobot City, Blaster then accidentally switches on the stereo on the console that he leaned on. And Starscream, at this point, quickly possesses Cup, which causes an explosion in a panel next to him on the wall. Blaster making it known at this point that that was the security systems and every door to Autobot City is wide open. All systems are down too. So it turns out, Andy, that was a pretty important panel. (laughs) We then see Metroplex's brain vault, as it's phrased, where Starscream and Scourge have now planted a bomb and detach Metroplex's eyes. Destroying Metroplex's security system, the two Decepticons have now stolen both eyes. But in a throwback moment to older seasons, Andy, which I got a kick out of, despite it being very misproportional, or out of proportion, whatever the way to phrase it is, Spike is riding inside Bumblebee, and they basically do a drive-by, knock over Scourge, causing him to drop one of the Metroplex eyes, shattering it into pieces. Yeah, I mean, p- p- perhaps not the best outcome, um, but I, I did, yeah, I did like that as a callback, and like even Spike's like, oh, yeah, it's like just like old times kind of thing. It's like, yeah, fair, fair, fair play to you. I did laugh at how he looked like Bumblebee had monster truck wheels, though. That was quite amusing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> at this point, they are fleeing, that being the two Decepticons, and Metroplex transforms, but cannot see, and then just is like firing wildly at well, what, what, he doesn't know whatever the heck it is, but just firing wildly and is hitting his own comrades. However, the photon bomb disables Metroplex, i.e. explodes in the brain vault, causing him to crash. This is quite a scene which, I've got to say, Andy, it kind of harkens back to the seriousness of the movie in many ways. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing is a little bit dark. Like, I... I'm squeamish about eye stuff at the best of times. I'm like, even robot eyes. It's like, oh, you can't, you can't steal a dude's eyes. This is not. I'm not. I'm not into this. <laughs> and you certainly can't drop them and let them smash like they're <laughs> Christmas decorations. It's like, oh my god. Um, but yeah, it's, the, the the other side of this that I find amusing is we've had so many episodes this season of like, we have to beat Metroplex. Like he's invincible. How do we beat Metroplex? Turns out, just nick his eyes. It's just that easy. <laughs> it's really quite simple. Be a ghost, nick his eyes. Yeah. (laughs) Fast forward to a while later. The Autobots have been able to get Autobot City slash Metroplex, because they can't decide on the name, back online, and attempt to contact Rodimus to fill him in. Back with Starscream. Lacking one of the two eyes they were trying to get, him and Scourge head back to Char, where they dispatch... The Battle Chargers, Run Amuck and Run About, who I think it's the first time we've either seen one or both of them, Andy. I can't remember off the top of my head, but I know we haven't seen both of them together. I, yeah, yeah, we've definitely seen one or the other of them. They, I think this is the first time they've been name-checked, because like, mm. the last time they appeared, they, they weren't named. They were just kind of mm. 
keep running about and running amok, as it were. So they outwit them, and then they proceed... Well, first of all, to hide the Metroplex eye in the ground, kind of away from the base and whatnot. But then they go inside Trypticon and steal one of Trypticon's eyes. <laughs> in addition to this, Starscream then possesses Astro Train to serve as their ride home. And then when they're... What's the way to put this? Astro Train is left at just like the mercy of Starscream at this point. So they're flying near Cybertron, because that's where the Unicron head is still flying in orbit of. And when they're done with Astrotrain, they basically just make him crash land on Cybertron, and he's taken into custody, but he's got no idea what's happened, because last he remembered, he was on Char, so he's really confused. And Galvatron in all of this reacts, as you would expect, Andy, in a really rational and controlled manner. <laughs> because he then says to, to his... To put it bluntly to his minions who have failed him. Quote. First, you two let Scourge and Starscream steal one of Trypticon's eyes. Then, you two allowed Astro Train to be used as their escape vehicle. So Scourge is helping Starscream voluntarily. And you four were unable to stop them. Well, all I can say is... <laughs> <laughs> and then fires at them. This was so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that it, it, it's a great moment and i i really like the bit with astro train before because it's just like we've seen a bit of this before of, of just like star scream as just quite happy to throw anybody to the wolves to get things done and it's just a really good like nope done with you you can crash on cybertron i really don't care um it's it's it's, it's a nice little kind of moment as, as a reminder of, of what star is all about as well Upon returning to Cybertron's orbit, as mentioned, Starscream's effectively done with Astrotrain, ditches him. The Autobots detect him on the radar, of which, on the screen, Andy, did you notice what it said when it came to how it detected Astrotrain? I, d I did not. I did not see that. It said, in very bold letters, quote, Unidentified craft violating Cybertron airspace. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's fair. No, nothing inaccurate in that. Just a very direct warning, it's got to be said. <laughs> Pleased with his new eyes, Unicron informs Starscream and Scourge of their next labour. This is the best troll in the world. To bring Trypticon to Unicron. <laughs> I think I think one or the other, like, pretty much just goes, We were just there! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's it's just, yeah, it's that typical you get back to the supermarket from the supermarket and you realize that, oh, I needed some bread as well. I've got my shopping list here, I'm just saying. <laughs> um but yeah, it's 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 a, it is a pretty, pretty funny moment. It's, it also has real like video game like quest vibes as well. Of like you get sent somewhere to do a thing and then you go back like, ah, but now I also need this, and it's like that's the same place on the other side of the map I was just at. Why did you not give me both of these at the same time? Well, that's halfway um, there. I could have got it en route. Exactly. <laughs> there was also some fun dialogue, if I remember, when I think the eyes got installed and Unicron was going, oh, yes, both of these work. They both seem to run differently, though. Why is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, did I not ask for both of Metroplex's eyes? <laughs> I, I, it would have been funny if it had been like that bit from Toy Story where, um, like, you know, 
what is it, Mr. Potato Head, like, leaves his eye behind and he can just see something completely different with through one <laughs> eye. And it's just like, wait, I can see I can see Autobot City if I cover this eye. And if I cover this eye, I can just see Galvatron, like, screaming. What's going on here? <laughs> Meanwhile, amongst all of this, Rodimus Prime is interrogating Asher Train, who, as mentioned a few moments ago, claims to not remember what's happened, but Blur reveals that Unicron has his eyes back. And at this point, Ultra Magnus takes Skylink's Hotspot and Springer to investigate. But Unicron drives them off by effectively just sending electroshocks towards them, causing them to exit and end up just floating in space. And we see in a later scene that Skylink just picks them up so they, that, they can get, that they can get reinforcements. Yeah, so, so, so Skylink's just like continues his his place as like the Autobot sort of Uber driver, <laughs> when it's just like whenever they're kind of like in a bit of a sticky situation and they need to get home, it's like oh, some can someone call Skylink's because we need we need a lift. Should also be noted that Scourge was involved in some of the action here as well, and he's now becoming a bit nervous of all of this, but Unicron warns him, "quote You will stay until the labors are completed." What I have given you, I can also take away. Which was a really nice callback to the movie when he got reformatted into Scourge. Yeah, yeah, for, for sure. It's, uh, again, yeah, it's, it's, it's the nice thing that they're doing with all of this stuff, is it, it all ties together quite uh, quite succinctly. I, I did mean to ask, though, how did Blur know that Unicron got his eyes back? Did I miss something there, or is there, like... I think, it was he just know. looking at the monitor, I think? Maybe, yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess, like Unicron's eyes were smashed, and then he probably saw that they weren't. So, yeah, I guess, I guess that scans. I was just like, it just seemed like a very specific thing to notice. But yeah, yeah I, guess I guess they were just properly, they were just like broken glass, weren't they? And you probably looked at yeah. it, had that moment of like tilting the head of going, "Wait a minute." <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a good, good like should have gone to Specsavers commercial or something. <laughs> We then go back to Char, where Galvatron has ordered the Battle Chargers and the Conehead Seeker Jets to locate Starscream and Scourge. They jump inside Trypticon when Galvatron starts firing at them because he's just threatening them all the time at this point, only for Trypticon to suddenly transform. Galvatron saying, Trypticon, I order you to stop! <laughs> Pretty much like that. Starscream then responds with, I'm just borrowing him for a little while. Don't worry about a thing. Galvatron responds back with, Starscream, you are a dead mechanism. Starscream says back, Of course I'm dead, Galvatron, but not for much longer, and then you are going to be sorry. And then Galvatron just says, I'm already sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that that made me laugh. It's like, is that is that like Galvatron apologising for like obliterating Starscream? It's like, look, I'm sorry. I, I hadn't had my coffee that morning. I was a little <laughs> bit angry. I overreacted and blew you to smithereens. Can we just talk about this? Um, but also, this just leans into my, like, why doesn't Starscream just continue to be a ghost? Like, he's right? possessed Crypticon, who is like... I mean, he could literally have just squashed Galvatron at that point and been done with it. It's, it's the like, size of a human city. Yeah, it's like, why do you want to be... Boring old Starscream when you can be any Transformer that you like at any point in time. You could probably be Unicron if you wanted. I don't know. Well, that's an idea. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. There was part of me where I kind of wanted Starscream in response to Galvatron saying you're a dead mechanism. I wanted to just go, of course I am. You killed me. 
Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's sort of weird because, yeah, like it goes halfway there with that retort and then doesn't quite follow through. But that's the, yeah, that's the, the obvious the obvious route that they could have gone. So obviously with Triptychon in Starscream's control, Triptychon departs, Decepticons follow in pursuit. Back at Unicron, Triptychon arrives and we hear Unicron say, the second labour is not yet complete. To which Starscream responds with, and I'm going to try and do this for Beta Mandy, What?! <laughs> Unicron responds back with Remove Triptychon's transformation Krog and install it within my head Again Andy When we get to that When I hear that line I'm just thinking Oh man this is getting this is getting big Like, Is this going to go on to like a part 3 or something Because it feels like it's building up To something pretty big at this point yeah, it's it's also re- a really weird sort of um, when you compare that to Starscream's Ghost itself, which was like a s- pretty goofy episode for the most part. Like that was kind of like this is quite dumb. Like you know, me- this whole premise seems a bit silly, and everything going on around it feels a bit a bit weird and wonky. And the fact that we've gone from that to like, oh my god, they're bringing Unicron back to life is quite is quite the the leap. But again, it all it all scans, it all makes sense, and uh, yeah, I, I was very much on board with this whole thing. Just as Starscream is about to do what Unicron has said, the other Decepticons arrive and begin to attack. But Starscream uses Triptychon to disable all of their weapons. And realising that they are completely outgunned, which I think you could have realised earlier, Galvatron, in hindsight, <laughs> Galvatron orders a retreat. Unicron then commands his minions, as I've written it down, the third labour being, quote-unquote, connect my head to the planet Cybertron. <laughs> I will then have a new body. I will be complete again, able to devour all worlds within my path. Again, Andy, the stakes are getting raised in this, like, with every labour. And I know it's not got the production value by any means of the movie, but there is an element where this this story is just gradually more and more feeling like it's on... It's trying to go for something the scale of the movie, even though we know it's going to be a short 20-minute episode of a cartoon. Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, I, I do really appreciate it for that. I mean, it's uh, I, I I do also have questions like surely like Unicron was at a point here where he could have used his like mind thingy on Galvatron again uh, <laughs> just to get him out of the way because you know he did that a lot in the movie. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, my, my my first question when he's like, oh, c- connect me to Cy- my head to Cybertron, it's like how like how does that work like is there just some like convenient socket that he can plug it into and i've got to say like that that's where like the the animation really f- i feel like the animators probably were given the script for that and just like threw their hands up and were just like what <laughs> what are we supposed to how do we make this look like like anything interesting and they kind of don't they just sort of like drop unicron's head on the planet and there's some wires and it's like yeah i don't know it, it's, it's there's it's a usb like, a know. to b socket there <laughs> yeah yeah it's just uh, and then they, they have like six attempts to like plug him in the right way around because you can never get it right the first time and um yeah it, it's just it, it's it's that the weirdest sort of animation moment where clearly They've been given all the instructions on what they need to depict, and they're just like, I don't know how we do this. <laughs> um, and so it's just like, well, how's that? Is that all right? And it's like, yeah, I guess so. From here, Scourge decides he's had enough and just promptly leaves. Starscream at this point is left to complete the task by himself. 
Scourge catches up to the other Decepticons and tries to warn Galvatron, but quite frankly, he doesn't care, partly because all of their weapons have been neutralized. Thought, Andy. It's literally just come to mind. At the beginning of Webworld... No, wait. Was it Webworld that we talked about earlier when they were trying to find that Isridite stuff? Um, yes, yeah, that was the start of Webworld, wasn't it? Because they mentioned all their weapons had been neutralised. Does that mean that Webworld should take place after this episode? Yeah, yeah, it would, it would do, because, I mean, this this should have followed on immediately from Starscream's Ghost, which was, like, basically mm. in its correct slot, I think. So, yeah, there maybe is some continuity there. Mm. Or, or, or maybe just the Decepticons' weapons are rubbish and are constantly breaking down. There's Fair. that as well. <laughs> So Galvatron doesn't care, partly because all their weapons have been neutralised. Scourge then heads to the Autobots, and I think one of the reactions of Rodimus was, you've got a lot of guts just walking in here. And then Scourge yeah. is just like, we don't have time for that! Unicron's coming here! <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a fun I mean, at least moment. Rodimus actually cared and seemed to show some interest. and just like, oh, hi, Scourge. <laughs> <laughs> and then just like, that's it. At least he seemed somewhat engaged in what was happening. I mean, that's because Unicron's involved, Andy. It's like... To use a football analogy now, it's like when you're in the Europa League. You know, the group games really don't matter. Until you get to the knockout stage, that's when you care. Yeah, yeah, that's, uh, that, that, is, that, is, that is very, very true. <laughs> As we are getting closer to Cybertron with Unicron, being pushed effectively by Trypticon, which was funny through space to see, Unicron is then saying, yes, my resurrection is at hand. Within Trypticon, because I did make note of this earlier, Andy, when, like, the battle chargers and the coneheads were, like, fleeing from Galvatron and whatnot, and they were told to find him, they were still inside Trypticon, which hadn't really been pushed that much as a note in the episode, but I kind of did some thinking back and thought about it. So they end up disabling Starscream's control over Trypticon. So Starscream, at this point, then demands, in order to complete the labours that he needs to have his body restored. Unicron restores his body, and Starscream then just literally shouts, which I'm not going to try and rip replicate, I live again! <laughs> and then Unicron then just says, now, do my bidding, complete the connection. But Starscream, surprise, surprise, tells Unicron to go connect it himself. <laughs> However, what they hadn't noticed, but we, the viewer, had noticed, was that the Autobots managed to plant some Energon cubes on Unicron's head, which at this point is basically just resting on Cybertron. <laughs> they detonate the Energon cubes, causing Unicron's head to get blasted back up into orbit and Starscream to go flying. So much so that Starscream flies past the Decepticons and Galvatron orders everyone to start firing at Starscream. And when their shots begin hitting him, Cyclonus then just says, wait a minute, since when do ghosts tumble out of control through space? <laughs> <laughs> Which is a fun little moment. On Cybertron, Rodimus agrees to allow Scourge and Astro Train leave in exchange for their respective help that they had given he then tells the rest of the Autobots that their new mission is to retrieve Metroplex's eyes from Unicron. To which everyone is kind of like, wait, what? No, shut up. <laughs> and then he basically says, ah, I was joking. Because they were probably just destroyed in that explosion just now, to be fair. 
And then they all have a hearty laugh, but then unseen by the Autobots, but seen by us, the viewer. It pans across to the viewing screen on one of the Autobot consoles. And then we look towards Unicron's head, and there's a little twinkle in one of Unicron's eyes. <laughs> and the episode ends. So I guess Unicron's still not dead, Andy, based on that. No. Well, I mean, if, if, if like, having his body literally kind of blown apart from limb from limb didn't kill him, then I guess, like, <laughs> being, you know, a few Energon cubes is not going to do the job. And it wasn't particularly... There was something comedic about his head just getting, like, blown off the planet in the way that it did. Um, it was it was like a sort of one of those like cola bottle rockets <laughs> that you can you can that you can make, um, but uh, but yeah, Unicron is still is still a threat. As Unicron is here. Yes, exactly. I do you know what? There is some proper dumb stuff in this episode, but it's dumb fun. But overall, I really enjoyed this episode. I love the fact that Unicron was back involved in it, and. I'll say that the payoff for the concept of Starscream's ghost, although admittedly, and we'll get into this in a moment, this is basically the final appearance of Starscream. The concept of the ghost was really, really well done in this episode. Like, they really followed up on it well. Getting Unicron involved was such a fun surprise, not knowing going in. And I wish this probably could have been fleshed out more into a third episode because they really could have upped the stakes more once again. But overall, very, very happy with this. And as far as being the second part of a two-parter, definitely paid off. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, Starscream's Ghosts as an episode on its own, kind of a bit rubbish. Like, you know, it, it was it was sort of janky and and goofy and did really especially coming off the back of dark awakening which was sort of you know similar concept of like you know bring back sort of ghost slash zombie version of, of of precious character like they couldn't have been more different um and it was sort of unfortunate for us i think that we watched them almost literally back to back um and uh, yeah but this really pays off like it almost you could almost have done without starscream's ghost or, or part of it and just gone straight to this because yeah like it's good it's good high stake stuff like bringing unicron into the mix like a it makes sense b there's a really interesting sense of threat because you know it's sort of it's the one it's the thing that, that is really good for having starscream here for because if there's one thing autobots and decepticons both agree on it's we don't want unicron back and so the one agent of chaos here is Starscream. He does not give a damn either way anymore. He just wants his body. And given Unicron's the only person that can do it, it's like, yeah, all of this just makes sense and makes all of this kind of pop. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a shame that this episode doesn't have time to really ramp up. Again, it's, it's the thing I think season three, almost more than other seasons, has a problem with, you know, Transformers has always been bad at ending its episodes, I feel like. We complain about it a lot. But some of these season three episodes in particular just don't allow any time for kind of dramatic build-up. And this would have been a really good episode where, you know, it looks like Unicron is about to take control of Cybertron. Maybe it even starts like changing into a new form as Unicron takes control of it before something happens to stop it. But instead it sort of it gets cut off before you get to the, the good bit almost. And it's like, oh, okay, well that's just that's just over now. Um, so that's kind of a shame. But the, the other thing I think that works really well here is it's so good to see Starscream back. 
yep. you kind of want him to succeed. Like it's sort of it's it's like the genius of that character of like you know he's the baddie. He you know he can't his plans can never come to fruition because that would kind of you know wreck the entire thing. But you know as as a kid and even as a grown up, you're like ah oh, no come on let him let him have a break. Like I let let him get his body back and you know have have some fun. Let let him face off against Galvatron again. And so you find yourself even despite the fact that like oh Unicron coming back is a bad idea. It's also like yeah but if he resurrects Starscream that might be fun. So like <laughs> I guess I guess I'm fine with it. I'm surprised that wasn't Rodimus Prime's take as well of like well you know whatever. Starscream was a, was a lad you know. <laughs> yeah yeah I, I, we, we can hang out go for drinks talk about the old days. <laughs> so let's go to the TF wiki for some notes here. This is the second appearance of Starscream's ghost. His first appearance being in the episode Starscream's ghost, as we mentioned. His ghost would make a third appearance in the Beast Wars episode Possession, in which he takes over Waspinator. Now, in this episode, as we talked about, he was sort of flying past the Decepticons and whatnot. Starscream is last seen tumbling away through space in his new body, damaged from Galvatron's attacks, but still very much alive. This is sometimes seen as a point of conflict with his appearance as a ghost in the Beast Wars episode Possession, but fans have reconciled this by speculating that he died again off-screen, or else travelled through time to the Beast Wars era and back before this episode took place chronologically. Alternatively, the Beast Wars cartoon does not follow strictly from any specific Generation 1 continuity, allowing the error, quote-unquote, to be dismissed entirely. Yeah, I I feel like they probably, much like you know the the, the never ending returns of Optimus Prime, I suspect there was a desire to keep that a little bit open ended mm-hmm. and be like, we might want to bring Starscream back again at some point. Like especially given that they've gone to the lengths of like him actually getting his body back, mm-hmm. it's like you know there's got to be there's got to be a, a potential desire. And I mean maybe even this came from like you know. From the Hasbro side as well, because I mean, they did a like pretender star scream. I seem to recall there was a point where they had like a whole Transformers classics range where you know they brought back Star Scream and a few others. Like he was always there as whenever they had an opportunity, an opportunity to rehash that character, they would bring a new Star Scream into the fold. So I wonder whether there was a bit of a like look. Maybe even ask, like, can you get Starscream back into this series somehow? But also a kind of, like, leave anything like this open-ended because we might want to do another Starscream thing at some juncture. (laughs) I like this note. Speaking of dying, (laughs) Dirge's appearance here, clearly scripted and complete with a spoken line of dialogue, rather flagrantly contradicts his two deaths and his seeming appearance in the Decepticon crypt. (laughs) <laughs> oops <laughs> well look forward to, to the spin-off episode Dirge's Ghost <laughs> where, where Dirge somehow gets his body back of all the Transformers Starscream is seen possessing in both this episode and in Starscream's Ghost Scourge is the only one who puts up a fight for control of his own body and retains memories of what happened while under the influence quote unquote this is admittedly inconsistent with the ending of the prequel episode of this, however. Yeah, I mean, point, actually. 
Yeah, I mean, I guess like there's maybe well, I don't know because I guess Cyclonus has had the same. Like I was gonna say, there's an argument that Scourge has had like you know a body modification like slash transfer once already. So maybe maybe that makes him more robust. But then yeah, that doesn't that doesn't explain Cyclonus, I guess. But then maybe Cyclonus was busy thinking about cooking or whatever. Who knows? <laughs> Foreign localization, Andy. When it comes to the name of the episodes, there's sort of recurring themes here in French and in Russian and also in one of the Italian dubs. It's basically called Ghost in the Machine or in the second Italian dub, The Ghost in the Machine. I did like the first dub of the Italian... Uh, sorry, the, the Italian first dub naming, though. The Phantom in the Machine. Yeah, yeah, also good. Starscream's Phantom, imagine that. <laughs> so in German... It, there's a, sort of a couple of versions depending on G1 or G2. It's the ghost inside the robot or Starscream Returns as the second one. See, I'm surprised that that, that that wasn't the episode title here. Like, again, even that we get, like, the return of Optimus Prime, etc., etc., you'd have thought they might want to name-check Starscream again, and that, that seems like something that you could sell kids slash toys on quite mm -hmm. easily. Then, I like, I like this one in Mandarin, Ghost Haunt. <laughs> <laughs> and then... In Japan, I, I like this one. Starscream's revival. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, that that that, that makes sense. So there we go, everybody. That is going to conclude the episodes we are talking about for today. Uh, Andy, before we talk about what we're going to be discussing next time, any additional thoughts on any of the three episodes we have been discussing today? Um, no, I I, I realize we we did forget to mention that that Ghost of the Machine also has like Starscream's iconic line of passes, passes. I don't need no stinking passes. <laughs> which I I I always thought that was a Starscream's ghost line, and was kind of confused that it wasn't there. And it's like, oh, it's this episode because I remember that being like heavily used and reused by people. Um, so that's like an iconic Starscream line. Um, that I very much enjoy. Uh, the other <laughs> iconic line that we didn't mention for this episode is just Metroplex shouted, where are my eyes? <laughs> <laughs> Which is both an absolutely fair question given the circumstances and also just a very funnily direct thing to say when someone's just stolen your eyes. <laughs> so what are we talking about next time? Well, simply put, it's going to be discussing season three, episodes 18 to 20. Also, Andy, it's going to be episode 25 of our podcast. Nice, it's, it's like quarter century of the podcast. Indeed, excluding obviously the bonus episodes we've done, but the fact we're going to be episode 25, I think that's a pretty big landmark in and of itself. The episodes we will be discussing are The Dweller in the Depths, Nightmare Planet, and The Ultimate Weapon. Not to be confused with The Ultimate Doom, which we've <laughs> already had. Although, didn't the Ultimate Doom have an Ultimate Weapon? It all gets very confusing. There's a lot of yeah. Ultimate stuff going on. I mean, hey, maybe we'll see Dr. Archerville, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like every time, again, every time I say something's not going to happen in this series, it does happen. Like, I'm pretty sure last week I said, no, nah, I don't think we're going to see Ratbat again. And then there he is, right at the start of an episode, <laughs> as if as if we'd forgotten him. Yeah, so that is what we've got coming up next time, everybody. Uh, any additional random closing thoughts in general, Andy, before we uh, before we wrap up properly for today? No, I'm. I recognise the name of Nightmare Planet as as one of these episodes, and I'm not sure whether that is for good or for ill. Um, so I'm interested to see um, whether I, I remember that episode name for for good reasons or bad. Like I feel like that ended up on some VHS. So again, I was gonna say that's gotta mean it's good, and then I remember Carnage in C minor that was also <laughs> on a bunch of VHS releases, and maybe not. But then um, think of the girl who loved Power Glide. 
yeah i mean it may it may it may surprise me um so no no i'm like you know again i continue to be somewhat sort of surprised at the general quality of season three like you know there are definitely some very ropey episodes animation wise there are definitely some ropey episodes story wise but there's also like a fair amount of decent stuff in here like it's i i, I was you know i mean I, I feel like i said the same thing with season two where i was expecting to have a rough ride but season three i was really thought like ah i know there are some good episodes in here but i think a lot of the rest of it's going to be kind of trash but like there's a lot of episodes that have good ideas and you know the the different tone of season three kind of continues to sort of help it along as well in terms of feeling a bit fresh yeah, I, I'm i not familiar with any of these episodes either. I mean, I'm glancing at the thumbnails and I can imagine what one of them is probably going to be about, but I won't say anything so as to not spoil things of that nature. Uh, I will say, actually, I mentioned Power Glide a few moments ago. We, we didn't name-check the fact that he was actually involved in Ghost in the Machine when Metroplex's eyes got stolen because he got hit by Metroplex. Yep, yep, he did He did get to get downed by, by Metroplex. Yeah, like him and Warpath were both kicking about. I, I assume the animators just had a bunch of red paint that they wanted to use <laughs> on some cells and were just like, put these guys in, we can use this tin of red paint we've got kicking around here. What toys haven't been deleted yet? I know these two. <laughs> yeah, yeah, again, th- th- these are always the interesting little minutiae when it comes to these things of just like, why these guys, like, you know, why pipes, you know, from <laughs> earlier in the season of just like, is was there a request from on the high of like, hey, can you put these guys in an episode or is this just a free for all for the animators where they're just looking through character designs? It's like, ah, oh, these robots look nice. Let's, let's paint these robots. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for checking out this episode of the podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. As I mentioned at the top of the show, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts. If you feel so inclined, we would love you to tell a friend about the podcast. And if you really want to, you can leave a little rating on there as well. It would be very much appreciated. If you want to check out the video version of the podcast, if you're not already, that is. If you are, hi, I'm waving at you now on the video. (laughs) You don't know that if it's the audio version. Well, you do, because I just said it. Anyway, if you go on YouTube and search for Starscream's Ghost Podcast, you should find our channel there just fine. If you'd like to give us a subscribe, why not? We would really appreciate that. And leave a comment on this video if you feel so inclined as well. We'll be back in two weeks' time with another edition of this podcast. As mentioned, we'll be talking about episodes 18 to 20. You can check out all the archives of our episodes as well if you want to catch up on any of the previous ones. If you want to hear our thoughts on Starscream's ghost proper leading into Ghost in the Machine, you can do that. And with that being said, from myself, Jeremy Graves, from him, Mr. Randy Hanley, we've been Starscream's Ghost, a Transformers podcast. Until next time, take care and speak to you soon. Bye, everyone.